The text for the sermon this day is taken from Ephesians 6, which you heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it says in the text that we are to put on the full armor of God. So I have quite a few pieces of, I have a few of the pieces up here. So belt the truth, we just talked about that. We have, I don't have my breastplate of righteousness. Like I said, the Halloween shop doesn't open up until Tuesday. So, and Amazon doesn't ship fast enough, so I do not have a breastplate. Then you have, I already have shoes on, the shoes of peace. Peace, and of course we talk about peace, we're not talking about peace like, you know, just a calming feeling. We're talking about peace in terms of the reconciliation to God, that God is not our enemy. And so therefore we can have comfort in our feet. We can have support for our ankles. So we don't have to walk around like hobbits or anything like that. If anybody knows that reference. So then it talks about the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation and the sword that is the word of God. So, this is, we're told to wear armor. So the question, so if we have to wear an armor, that obviously means that there is a battle. Which seems difficult for us to think of as Americans. Now, if you're in Afghanistan right now, you definitely get an idea of battle, an idea of warfare, because of the persecution. But, if it weren't for the news, we wouldn't even know that was going on. As Americans, we're pretty comfy, pretty cozy. But as it says, we wrestle not against flesh or blood, and that does not mean that we wrestle against printers or technology. That's, that's usually a joke at many pastor's offices when they're wrestling with the printer. But we wrestle against the forces of darkness. We wrestle against Satan. We wrestle against his armies because he is always working on. Back in 1938-39, Clive Staples Lewis, C.S. Lewis, was one day he was listening to the radio and he heard a speech by a man named Adolf Hitler. And as he listened to the speech, he said that Hitler spoke with such, such a way, with such level of charisma, that if he did not know that he was dead wrong, he could feel himself being swayed. Because that is how forceful he could speak. And upon hearing this speech, Lewis realized that this is how the devil works on every one of us. It's not in the most obvious of ways. He does it with the most subtle of whispers, the most subtle of temptations, because he wants one thing more than anything else, and that is to lead 
you away from Christ. Because the thing that the devil knows is he cannot defeat God. He knows already that God is so far above him that he cannot win that war. And so it's kind of like, and so kind of think of like Superman. You, if you want to beat Superman, you don't attack him. You go after those he cares for. There is one, who is it that God cares for? You. And so for that reason, the person who Satan focuses all his attention on is you. He wants you to give in to that temptation, to that sin that will lead you away from Christ and into damnation. That's his goal. And so Lewis, hearing that speech by Hitler and getting this thought, he wrote a series of fictional letters called the Screwtape Letters. It was written by, it was a letter from an elder demon to a younger demon, which by the way, this is a book. If you've never read it, read it, go pick it up, buy it. There's even some really good audible recordings if you want to listen to that. And so there's basically it's this older demon coaching a younger demon on how to lead a newborn Christian away from the faith. And so it's amazing how subtle some of the things are. So just a little example is the man, he says, there's a moment where your patient in other words, the Christian, is sitting there and reading the newspaper or watching the news or reading whatever, and all of a sudden, he gets a really good thought. I mean, a spiritual thought that leads him into thinking more deeply about who God is and who he is in relationship to him. Don't, the easy route would be to tell him some sort of a lie. But the devil's more subtle than that. Instead, he's going to tell the man, you know what, this is too serious of a subject to think about on an empty stomach. So why don't we go get some lunch and come back to it? So the man will get in his vehicle or on the bus or whatever. He'll go grab that sandwich, chow down on that sandwich, forget about what he was thinking about, and never return to it. See, one of the things the devil does is not just so much as to what the ideas he puts in your head, it's the ideas he keeps from entering your head. Or here. If you think the devil is not working while you're in church, you're sorely wrong. Because the one thing he does not want is for you to be here. Because he knows that while you are here, you are hearing God's word in multiple forms, in multiple ways, over and over. And so he is going to get you, he's going to find any way he can to get you to think about anything and everything other than God's word. So for example, you're singing a hymn. So for example, we just sang this hymn. Rise to arms, let prayer with prayer employ you. You read those words, such powerful, it's basically a sermon right there. 
But you know what the devil's going to want you to do? To think, I really don't like this tune. I like a much more upbeat tune than that one. I want to hear this or that. Or maybe you'll hear, and by the way, on the flip side, you might hear a contemporary song and you're hearing, again, you're lifting up praises to God. He's going to want you to focus on, you know, I wish this was more like one of those good old-fashioned hymns I grew up with. Maybe it was a little bit more like that. I would be okay. Let's ignore, don't, he doesn't want you to think the wonderful privilege it is to praise God. And yes, it is a privilege given to you by Christ. You are not worthy to worship God. We should not be demanding that it comes in a form that we like. What we should be grateful is we got God's word. But we will complain and we won't like something. Because the devil doesn't want you, or even he'd like to, to focus on the other people in the pew. He wants you to think, like, wants you to think oh, I know that person. I remember the things that they have said. I know the things they do. I know what they're going to be like tonight or last night. That person was out at wherever all night. Or that person cannot sing on cue whatever, at all. He'll get you to think about anything and everything you can, he can that has nothing to, and he does not want you thinking about Christ. You see, you have this armor. That's why it's so, why he doesn't want you here is because the armor of God. So going back to it, so you have the belt of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one. You have the shoes of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. You have the shield of the faith. Jesus is the faith. You have the helmet of salvation. When Jesus visited Zacchaeus, they said that salvation had entered into Zacchaeus' house. Who entered into Zacchaeus' house? Jesus, who is salvation. And then you have the sword that is the word of the God. John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. Jesus is the armor of God. The, the Greek word that is used for putting on the armor of God, Paul uses that exact same Greek word in Galatians 3 when he says that everyone who has been baptized into Christ Jesus has put on Christ. So when did you receive the armor of God? When you were baptized. But you see, it doesn't, we don't just stop at baptism. So when you were, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, gives that command. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And what's the next part? We missed one part. And teaching them all that I have commanded you. Then, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. But teaching. See, the word disciple literally means student. 
So you don't just stop at being baptized, you learn the faith. Because you see, the Word of God is a powerful thing. As it says in there, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. What is a double-edged sword? This is a double-edged sword. One, two. Those are the two edges. Now, I have this sword collection in case there's a zombie apocalypse or whatever. But I'm going to tell you that I have absolutely no training. And kind of like, Keith, you're here, since you tend to run around with my swords every now and then. Not exactly the best warriors, because much more likely to cut off our own leg than to lay anybody out and harm anyone else. The Word of God is dangerous. It's powerful. But when somebody does not, is not studying it, does not know it, it can become dangerous in the wrong way, like me wielding a real sword. To give you an example, if you were to make, ask your average person on the street, what is the root of all evil, what would they say? They would say money. What does the Bible actually say? The love of money. See the difference? Little bit of the word of God can get something really wrong. Some people will get the idea that money is the root of all evil. There's even, there's a passage where if you read in Matthew, and I think Mark has the same account where a rich man comes to Jesus and he tells the rich man to give up all you have and give it to the poor. Do you know how many people think that that's what you need to do to be a Christian? I've heard so many posts on Facebook over the last year or so, for some weird reason, people thinking that that's what Christians are supposed to do. That that's what you have to do. That's an example. When you don't read what is going on around the passage, you will get something wrong. And you will teach something that Jesus is not teaching. Note, only the rich man was asked to give up all he has. He did not turn and tell the disciples that. He told the rich man. Because he wanted to show the rich man who his idol was. It was his money. And he was showing that the man, when he had a choice between salvation and his wealth, he chose his wealth. The point was that no one could be saved on their own works. Only with God is it possible. Money is not evil, but the love of money is. In fact, Martin Luther quite often argue that the reason why some people are well off, other, a little bit more well off than others, is so that way they can serve those who are not. It's your vocation. It's your calling to help those who are not as fortunate. Money is not evil. It's the love of money. But it's just an example how the Word of God is powerful. And see, that is why, so for example, this coming Wednesday, cross-explorations, confirmation will be starting up. It's so that you are learn that our youth are learning God's Word. That's why we have Bible class. 
for adults. We have Bible class for youth. It's so that they may be in the word of God. So that they may know how to wield it. To use it. Because the devil is indeed attacking. If you think that your kids are safe because they're in the United States, you're fooling yourself. Right now, so when I, I've said this, some people have heard me say this before, but I graduated from high school in 2001, so 20 years ago. When I graduated from high school, 83% of the United States was Christian. Do you know what it is now? 48%. We are right now in the first time in the history of the United States where the less than half of the population is Christian. So, Journey, you, when do you graduate from high school? 2027. So if you decide to go to college, that means you'll probably graduate in about 2031. When you graduate from college, 33% of the United States will be Christian. It will no longer be the largest religion in the United States. The largest religion will be the non-religious. Which means you're going to eventually... So basically, if you look at any kids who were journey or younger, and they, when they go into their job, they're going to most likely going to have the experience. They'll run into somebody who's, who, for whom they for whom your child will be the first Christian they ever met. Welcome to what the world. See what world they're entering into. See how important it is to be in this word, to know it, to wield it. And by the way, to add to this, by the way, this is why we have Sundays, and Sunday school is going to be starting up again. And we're going to have that for literally, if you were in preschool up to 120 years old, we have something for you on Sunday mornings. And if you ever wonder when you need to stop going to Bible study, I always say, if you know the Bible inside and out, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, all of it, then I think you should be okay. But no pastor even has that one down. So, you'll tell you're in the you're in the casket. You're probably not done. We need to be in the Word for the sake of your children, your grandchildren, for the sake of yourself, for the sake of your neighbor, that you may wield it, that you may be able to talk about it, so that when people say strange things about the Bible, you can say something. And see, this leads to the shield of faith. Luther said that the shield of faith was most embodied in four things. The Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Tadeum Laudamus, which you can find in our order of Matins, and the Nicene Creed. And the reason is, is because as you say those creeds every single week, it's your shield against the pastor. Against any pastor. So when your pastor starts saying, 
You know, I don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, which is quite common amongst a certain other Lutheran church body. You will say, um, no, this is what the creed says, and I have scripture to back it up. Or you hear somebody say, you know, Jesus is alive in our hearts, but he didn't really physically rise from the dead. That's why you'll see in a lot of these churches, they will never say Christ is risen. They'll say Jesus is alive. They won't say he's risen because they don't believe it. They believe he's just alive in your hearts. If you know your creator to say, uh-uh, that's wrong. This is why you learn the your catechism. We ask you to memorize the Ten Commandments, to memorize those meanings word for word. So that way when the pastor comes up and says, take, eat, this represents the body, you're like, it doesn't say that. I know very well it says, take, eat, this is my body. When he starts saying that infants don't need to be baptized, you will know something's wrong. It's to protect you. So you have a shield that protects your organs, protects that breastplate of righteousness, protects that belt of truth. Or the, you need the shield of faith. That's why you have, that's why even the liturgy, the hymns that you sing, the music you sing, all of it is instilling the truth, the faith that you hold, that you may stand firm. For your own sake, for the sake of your neighbors, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your grandchildren. And this is why parents, grandparents, you always act as if faith is absolutely important. Because every family, all it takes is three generations and your children will be atheist or agnostic. It starts with one, the parents saying, you know, church is a nice thing to do, but there's all these other activities vying for their attention. You know, we got all these sports activities. We have all these things going on. That's nice, but so church could just set, go into the corner. If you'd start with that, don't be surprised when your grandchildren are atheists. And by the way, if that means you will not see your grandchildren in heaven. That's how important those decisions are. Christ, the armor of God, be in the word. Receive the sacrament. When you're in the word, when you receive the sacrament, the armor is strengthened and you can stand against the assaults of the devil by having the armor of God, it does not mean that you're free from difficulties. As I said to the kids, it means that when difficulties happen, you stand. Because you're standing on the strength of Christ. You're standing on the strength of God himself, the one who created the heavens and the earth. You are clothed in him. In baptism, strengthened in the word, strengthened in the Lord's Supper. So that you may stand strong until the day he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, 
and lay your weary head and rest in his kingdom. Till that day comes, to him be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.